Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. One of the ways that I maintain my own happy place and serve my clients to help uh, get them to theirs or maintain theirs is um, is movement. And we're not sure why, and, and my next guest is going to get into that, but when we walk and talk or run and talk or hike and talk, there's something about that process that um, is terrific on multiple levels, whether it's problem solving or unleashing creativity. And my next guest has written a book about this. It's entitled Running with Mindfulness, Dynamic Running Therapy, DRT, to Improve Low Mood, Anxiety, Stress, and Depression. The author and my guest today is William Pollan. He is a psychotherapist registered with the British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy, BACP. He practices integrative therapy and specializes in the treatment of depression, anxiety, problems of self-esteem and confidence, and substance abuse. He's been featured in publications such as Vogue, The New York Times, and GQ. His interactive and instructive new book, as I mentioned, is Running with Mindfulness. Welcome, William. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Let's let's talk about what this process really is. It's very low tech with a high yield. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, the book is the book's a kind of guide. Uh, and, it, and it's on one level, it's got mindful walking, mindful running on it and, it, and it, in it. And it sort of helps you along to uh, sort of adapt whatever you're doing in, into a mindful way. Uh, but then it also has these programs for um, specifically addressing conditions that you've just listed, that depression, anxiety, etc. So it's a sort of um, it it come it can serve you in two different ways. But let's talk about depression because there is a very strong correlation between relief from 
depressive symptoms and A, being outdoors, being in the sunshine and B, um, elevating one's heart rate to release endorphins. So talk a little bit about that. Well, yes, it's, I think it's sort of common sense to, to most of us. You get out there and, and often you feel that dividend. You feel healthier. You feel, for me, I think what it's about is, and this is why I developed dynamic running therapy as a fusion of talk therapy and, and running and movement because I decided that I recognized in my own practice, my own running practice, that it was empowering. Um, and I think... You know, going back to depression, the thing that really, I think the most marked part of it begins with with, with a feeling of, of of being disempowered. You know, that kind of, I don't know what to do. Even if I do do it, I'll get it wrong. Um, yeah. And so one gets stuck. That's the stuckness. And, and I see no better way of freeing up the idea of being stuck than getting somebody actually moving. Yeah. Um, and then there's the second part there, which is that I, by having a target, whatever it is, I want to run 10 meters today. I'm a heavy smoker, whatever I may be. Do that 10 meters. Uh, everybody can get 10 meters done, I hope, either in a walk or a run, providing they're mobile. And then the next day it's 12, and the next day it's 15. And that sense of progress can really shift uh, all of the kind of hopelessness that um, – people often feel with depression. And with depression, there's lack of motivation, right? So there's fatigue. One doesn't feel like moving. And the act of even just getting up off the, the sofa can be a challenge for those who really are mired in the depths of depression. So when you say 10 meters, really, it, it, we're talking about baby steps to start. Most definitely, really baby steps. I mean, I always say just show up, even if you're not going to to run, even if you're not going to walk around the park, walk around your living room, just do something, you know, no matter how small the step is, try to find a step. Talk about the sensation that you describe in the book as emotion in motion. Well, this I found with my clients. Um, you know, it comes from my own personal story of how I became a, uh, a running therapist. I was, at the time I was, uh, going through a difficult time in my own life and I decided to take up running and psychotherapy and yoga and boxing and everything else I could to try and get myself out of it. And what I noticed with the running, and I was running with an American friend of mine who was going through a divorce, is the two of us suddenly uh, really were talking a lot, much more than men normally do. We were talking a lot about what was happening with us in our lives. And I noticed that it had something to do with the running the running, the movement, the walking, because we weren't facing off, I think, to each other. I think that was important because we weren't there. It wasn't our project was not solely to share feelings and it was mixed in with the movement. Um, somehow movement came up, the, the, the uh, feelings came up, the movement triggered or allowed or, or, or um, validated or, or helped with the expression of. But it was more than that. It helped with the identification of. I was able to get in touch with stuff better. It seemed more natural. So more came to me and, and less seemed difficult to, to express. So that's why I thought, well, let me see what I can do and develop this into a therapy. And I trained to be a therapist over six years and took the the sort of moving parts of that training and, and, and um, 
um, put it into into a therapy. Well, I think you said something really important about you and your running partner in that you did not face off. It was not two men facing off. It was two men facing in the same direction mm. in movement and that, that whatever came came through just was allowed to very naturally be be processed. Yes. I mean, you, you've probably had that experience when you've been on a road trip or a long hike. And even with somebody you don't know particularly well, there's something about the the shared sense of, uh, of an adventure. Um, you're side by side and suddenly you're telling stories that are really quite personal that you've never told anybody before to a complete stranger on a bus or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know if you've got any ideas about that. What do you think it is about those shared journeys that, that, that loosen up the tongue? I think that it must activate some part of the brain that um, makes us feel safe and secure, even for those few minutes, you know, yeah. because we, we tend to withhold, you know, somebody that we don't know somebody well, we might be cautious. And then here you, you, you're on a hiking path with a stranger from another place and you start walking together and suddenly you're telling one another your life stories or you're on an, on a plane going from one end of the country to the other. And there's this extreme core dump that happens, you know, <laughs> that yeah. you just don't know why or how, how it happens. That, but that, it's a oh, fantastic feeling, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it is. And perhaps it's the sense of wonder when you're in movement, you're on a journey somewhere and yeah. you're curious about where you're going and curiosity, it causes elevation. So maybe that's part of it. I think that it so does. And, and you know, I don't think we appreciate uh, on a daily basis just how sort of um, uninspired we are. And suddenly you go on some, you know, bus trip to a part of town you've never been to before and you feel like you're on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. curiosity, you don't realize how much that curiosity is waiting always to be fed. And, and life can get boring. Routine can get boring. And I, I think shaking up when we talk about, you know, dealing with depression or anxiety um, and, and, and other conditions that, that this works for, that idea of shaking up the norm in a very um, controlled way, it's very safe. Yes. And I think some people would say that, you know, there's increasingly an understanding that depression is a, rather than a, a, a medical issue. Many people are choosing to see it rather as a an expression of uh, of, of a problem in your life. I.e., I, I I'm not addressing um, how flat my life really is, how stagnant it is, how how. And so now the the spirit, the soul, um, dives down into a into a sort of shutdown, forcing you to uh, to examine what's happening in your life. I, you know, I'm happy to look at it that way. But I do think it's it's definitely true that, you know, in, in, in the jobs that we have day in, day out, the relationships that we have day in, day out, where we start to take others for granted, we take ourselves for granted, everything can become rather monotonous. And, and then you just forget, you know, you can wake up after 10 years. You know, I mean, I always think you go for a dance somewhere. You haven't been to a party and dance in a long time. You dance and you wake up the next morning full of joy and you think, my God, why am I not? full of joy yeah. every Saturday morning. Why has it taken me a decade to remember what joy feels like? Yeah. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining the, what, you know, you, you going to the dance and then the next morning. I, I, I get it. And it is that um, a unique part of the human condition that we get, a, we, we, we stray from joy. And maybe that's really the conversation and the depression. Having been challenged by it myself, I understand, having gone through it, through it, that rather than it being necessarily some organic medical condition, that it really is the body and mind's way of taking care of itself um, with a supreme wake-up call that <laughs> doesn't feel good. Uh, well, exactly. Exactly. It makes sense, doesn't it? It, oh, it does. We're, we're talking about your book, Running with Mindfulness. The author is psychotherapist William Pollan. And again, the book is Running with Mindfulness, Dynamic Running Therapy, DRT, to improve low mood, anxiety, stress, and depression. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with William about this process and other ways to use it, perhaps to unleash creativity, William. You and I talked about that prior to, to starting. Um, to learn more, um, connect with him on Twitter. That's the only way right now, right? <laughs> uh, that's a good way. It's not the only way. Um, I have my own website, but, uh, yeah, I'm at, um, at Pullen Therapy. And the website name? Is Dynamic Running Therapy or William Pullen Psychotherapist.com uh, in both cases. Perfect. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Once again, we're talking with psychotherapist William Pullen, and the book is Running with Mindfulness, Dynamic Running Therapy, also known as DRT, to improve low mood, anxiety, stress, and depression. So the bottom line or the message here is uh, you want to shift, start moving. Before we dash off to the break, I want to mention that this episode of Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is proudly sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious and fit folks like runners, yogis, cyclists, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. If you're fit and active, you can be rewarded with lower life insurance rates. More than half of all Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. And that's because physically active people have lower risks of heart disease, cancer, and diabetes compared to those who are inactive. Like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash happiness or mention the promo code happiness when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Learn more and get a free quote at healthiq.com slash happiness. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if. Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? 
Not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about running with mindfulness. It's the name of a new book authored by psychotherapist William Pullen. Running with mindfulness is dynamic running therapy, DRT, to improve low mood, anxiety, stress, and depression. And prior to the break, William and I were talking about um, his experiences, how he got into running, how he went back to school and became a psychotherapist after a career in television, which he didn't share. But I want you to share more about that now, William, because it's an interesting contrast that leads us to a deeper discussion about being an overstimulated world. Mm, well, I wasn't in TV that long. You know, I think it was about two or three years, and I was in film a little bit, uh, to some degree still am. Um, but definitely I had quite a few things in my career that seemed to be uh, more superficial. Uh, and I think that the superficiality of them all, on the one hand, is very exciting developing television formats, ideas for shows, um, and then watching how those um, uh, respond, people respond to them. On the other hand, there's something um, sort of slightly nihilistic about them, you know, that you're you're looking for sort of memes, you're destroying, you're dis- not destroying, you are, you're destroying people's time, really, by coming up with um, trashy TV shows that will gobble up hours and hours of their time. And you're trying to find really the, the most narcotic of the lot to really gobble up the most time. Uh, and, and we call that success. So that it was something in that sort of area that I was coming from and led me to look for something more fulfilling. And, um, and that's how I became a psychotherapist. Uh, that combined with some, uh, uh, situation after a romantic relationship and um I, I wanted to make sense of my my uh my sense of loss after that and and general sort of emotional and spiritual bankruptcy i suppose you could say i was feeling <laughs> talk a little bit about the, the the lizard brain because you mentioned this on the break and it gave me a good chuckle you know yeah well you know there are those that say um there's a quite a famous footballer here who had a bit of a fall of a, a mental fall, I think, although he doesn't think so. Anyway, he wrote a book. Um, his name is, I think, David Ince. Anyway, obviously the book isn't taken too seriously, but it did sell quite well. And in it, he theorizes 
um, and he's not alone, obviously, it's this popular urban myth that uh, members of the royal family, particularly the Queen's husband, uh, Prince Philip, is the head of a lizard family, alien lizard family here in the UK. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'm not suggesting that we're all aliens, although, the, you know, it does make sense to some extent that, that some of our DNA came from another planet. It's not impossible. Um, but uh, but we are nonetheless, We I think science has proven uh, in uh, the structure of the brain um, and uh, and looking at genetics that that we do we have our brain responds to um, different stimuli in different ways as you know we have uh, flight or fright uh, f- what am I saying we've got fight or flight fight or f- yeah. fight <laughs> or flight and then we've also got freeze as we've now added on to that. Um, which I think is another way of understanding depression. You know, when an animal's in trouble, it freezes, hoping that the, you know, that the aggressor will leave it alone because it's no longer alive. So I think sometimes we just do that when we're in trouble uh, in our lives. We just we just freeze and hope that somehow the problem will just carry on and and move on away from us. Um, but going back to your lizard thing, or our lizard thing. Uh, yeah, I think that television and, um, and box sets and, uh, and too much color and too much data coming too fast out us, too much sound, too many flavors, you know, flavors loaded up with salt and sugar. Everything's sort of overloaded and it overloads, um, our little lizard brains, which are, you know, all about survival and they need to process uh, all the stimuli, um, and so they get very engaged and overloaded to the point that we can't, I think that we can't really just sort of slow down and what this book is about, be mindful, remember what your relationship is like with a tree or with nothing, with the quiet or smells. Instead, we're all, you know, spinning along, which, of course, if you're uh, uh, a uh, socialist, um, you would claim um, is... Uh, uh, is what capitalism is all, 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 all uh, uh, built upon, this idea that if you can keep the masses uh, um, overstimulated, just keep on throwing stuff at them, um, that they'll have no choice but to remain as consumers. Um, and also uh, they, won't make, uh, they won't be powerful political opponents either. But I think that's an interesting idea. What do you think? Oh, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think it, 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 it makes for addicts. You know, that we think of addiction traditionally as a substance, um, not necessarily behaviors, although, you know, there are behavioral addictions, you know, gambling, sex addiction, shopping addiction, so on and so forth. But this digital technology, um, and there's been a, a significant research being done in the United States about how these software developers really are are hijacking our brains, you know, tapping into that pleasure center in the brain to figure out what is it that will hook the consumer, you know, uh, the, the, the shiny objects, the, the technology that, that wheel us in. And that's why we can't put down our phones. Most definitely. I mean, imagine uh, how much data they've got to crunch. Imagine, mm. you know, Facebook are forever changing uh Using small test samples of a thousand people here or a thousand people there, and 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 changing the configurations of the of, 
of, of their user experience and then crunching uh, what that what that meant to uh, their usage and, and and purchases online etc and i mean they've got what is it two billion people they can crunch that that data from that's a yeah. lot of different groups you can try a lot of different and that's just them of course they own instagram so they're doing the same thing on instagram um visually um yeah it's pretty terrifying stuff really because the the the, the computers are, are working it out um, as you said, so cleverly that yeah. it really is. There are, you know, magicians know this, right? There are ways. There are ways you you hold one thing in one hand while doing something with the other one. You draw their attention over here, and you really can kind of bewilder a human, just as you can any animal. Do you know what I mean? We are only animals. And, oh, um, we are most def- most definitely animals. But you know, I think th- this t- brings us back to something you said about the, the the tree or a leaf, or you know, what happens to our relationship with nature, and as as we get further away from that connection, which is really in our DNA because it is all interrelated. We we are a part of this great system. You know, we're not uh, separate, completely separate um, species from it. Uh, as we disconnect from nature, from the elements, is that part of what causes depression? Oh, I think so, definitely. You know, that we were talking about adventures, going on adventures before. Being outside, uh, involved in adventures, hiking, going, building a hut or whatever it is you might be doing, um, cutting the lawn, playing with your kids, um, any one of those things is, is, is what we've been doing for millions, millions of years. And the biology that comes off the trees, um, that raises up through the soil and that, that mixes with our own microbes. And soon there's a whole powerful soup of them that have been proven. Research shows that actually we need that biology for our mental health. When, we, when we're inside behind a sheet of glass, um, living in a digital world or whatnot, we're, we're, we're so disconnected. I, I believe we become both anxious and depressed um, to yeah. a small degree. And, but then we normalize that because we think everybody else is doing it. And so we do it more and then we, we, we do it more and more and we feel more anxious and more depressed and more unfulfilled. And so we find different ways of trying to deal with that anxiety. So we sort of we start eating a lot or we watch a lot of television um, uh, and then finally, sadly, we get on to antidepressants, which definitely have their place for people who are very depressed. But um, all too often, we take them just when we should be at that point saying, no, I need more connection to the world. My problem yeah. is I'm not connected to my community. I'm not connected to nature. What do I do at that moment? I go off and, and, and take some drugs, which take me even more disconnected. Mm. Agreed. So, Yeah. You sound uh, uh, like I'm, I'm preaching to the converted. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I am most definitely converted, and it's um, something that I a practice I might I maintain for my own well-being. That I know that if I don't get outside, if I don't elevate my heart rate, if I don't ha- feel the sun on my skin, if I don't mm. feel the wind touching my cheek, that that is a recipe for me to become depressed, agitated, and anxious, and. I don't want that because I, I, what I do every day is serve others and help them elevate themselves from that position as well. 
Yeah. So yeah. it's a it's it's really important. We're we're nearly out of time, and I want to make sure that I give um, your contact information to the listeners. The book we're talking about is Running with Mindfulness: Dynamic Running Therapy, or DRT, to improve low mood, anxiety, stress, and depression. The author and my guest is William Pollan, who is a psychotherapist from England. And I I want you to come back in the future and share more um, about this because this is such a, a um, an important tool in the in the healing process and the in health maintenance, not just mental yeah. health but physical health. Absolutely, and if I can just add one last thing uh, for your listeners, because it's along with what we were saying, I definitely think that um, uh, that it is about our relationship with the, with the outside and um, and in just the way you're describing. And there's a program in the book about and you can do this walking you don't have to run even though it's called running therapy you can you can be walking therapy walking mindfulness but there's a program in the book which i'm particularly proud about which is about how to run with your kids and nothing gives me more joy than seeing parents running with their kids or walking with their kids because it yes. breaks it introduces those kids to the world as it should be and if we if they never get that contact um, then they're then they're not even going to be able to to, to sort of rewind back into something. They, they won't even develop an awareness around it. Yeah, it's it, we, we're, we do have to go, but I want to share this one um, thing because it really is spot on topic to what you just said. My last birthday, um, my kids asked me. My kids are older, uh, nearly eighteen and twenty. They said, "What do you want for your birthday?" I said, "I want you to come on a hike with me," and they did it. And I felt like I had the best day and had been gifted the very most important thing that I could have wanted. So it's true. Yeah. Fantastic. Really, really wonderful. So uh, to make contact, dynamicrunningtherapy.com, williampollenpsychotherapist.com, on Twitter at Pollen Therapy. And once again, that book is Running with Mindfulness, Dynamic Running Therapy, or DRT, to improve low mood, anxiety, stress, and depression. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And thank you, William, for joining me. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, I want to talk about creativity and how making things can make you a happier and healthier person. Today's sponsor, Craftsy, is the digital destination devoted entirely to makers. More than 13 million enthusiasts from artists to quilters and beyond make Craftsy their home for binge-worthy on-demand content and access to the world's top experts and curated supplies, all served up in a fun-loving, creative community. This year, resolve to live a more creative life. Sign up for your seven-day free trial at Craftsy.com slash happiness. Once again, it's seven days of free Craftsy at Craftsy.com slash happiness. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, 
we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Alrighty, one of the things that I admire most in people is badassery. And to be a badass means that you get up when you fall down, you are not defeated by life when life throws you curveballs. And basically, you are hardy, gritty, resilient, and bounce back from adversity and bounce back even stronger than when you started. And my next guest is a shining example of just that. National best-selling author of The Badass Body Diet, former NASCAR pit crew member, CrossFit game star, nationally ranked weightlifter, and fitness guru, Christmas Abbott, is not just your average fitness enthusiast. Not always the productive and holistically well-rounded role model, her foray into young adulthood was a mess, physically and emotionally, with unhealthy lifestyle habits and choices from regular drinking, smoking, and drug use, and frequent runs to fast food change. After a transformative year in Iraq, Christmas made a change that would launch her career and branded empire, inspiring thousands of men and women around the world to do the same. And welcome, Miss Badass, Christmas Abbott. Thanks for joining us. Hi, sorry, that was such a mouthful. (laughs) So, Christmas, tell us a little bit about a life-changing event that occurred for you at age 13. Oh, well, I, you know, I think that 11 to 13 for girls and adolescents is such an influential time. And so I was right in the middle of that influential time. And um, my sister and I, we ended up being in a car accident. It, the car rolled side to side seven times and flipped into end twice. So my sister was in a coma. She had broken back. Uh, she was not expected to live. I had severe whiplash, lots of trauma. I remember part of the crash. So emotionally, there was a lot more damage there for me. Um, and it, it just took me into a really, really dark place for, for quite some time afterwards, uh, nine years, really. And I allowed myself to, to become a victim of my circumstances from that event. And even though the event wasn't in my control, how I responded afterwards was in my control, even though I didn't know it at the time. So that's what I'm saying is like I became a victim of my circumstances. I allowed my circumstances to dictate my life and then become an excuse for poor decisions and bad actions. Very well said. But at the age when this occurred, because the, our brains are not fully developed, it makes perfect sense that you would turn to the most easy and quick way to soothe your discomfort without having to get in touch with, ooh, the emotions. Yeah, you know, it's 
being aware of your emotions, working through your emotions. I love the movie Inside Out um, only because it does such a great job of talking about the balance of our emotions and the, the, drop, the dramatic things that we will do in order to prevent feeling specific emotions. So that at 13, I did not want to feel sadness. So instead of processing it and allowing myself to feel the feelings and, and to be sad, I said, okay, never mind. I'm going to go drink. I'm going to go smoke. I'm going to go party and suppress these feelings, which on a long enough timeline, that will come out. And I call it emotional cancer, where if you're not coping with what you're dealing with in life in some way, in a positive way, and you don't have to like be, you know, seeing rainbows in the most traumatic time of your life, but you do need to be able to say, okay, look, I'm going to be sad. It's okay to be sad. And this is the way that it is right now. And then you brush yourself off on a long enough timeline and keep moving forward. Instead, I again, did not cope that way. And I ran the opposite way. Which makes sense. I mean, the, uh, uh, the EQ or emotional intelligence level of a 13 year old is pretty low. You know, we don't complete our uh, emotional development, the prefrontal cortex, you know, the part of the brain that governs reason, accountability, responsibility, morality, decision-making, and all those good things doesn't finish its com- complete evolution till about the mid- mid-20s. But needless to mm-hmm. say, there are plenty of other folks running around the planet that are not just 13, but 23, 33, 43, 63, 53, 73, 83, and above that don't possess a lot of of emotional savvy. Right. And that's not to say that they can't. It's just that until in where they are in their life, they've just practiced this other emotional immaturity initially. Right. So yep. as long as when you become aware of your actions, like for me, my turnaround point was when I was 22, I had gone to Iraq as a civilian contractor I was in the middle of the war zone. We had bombs coming into the camp and I looked around and, and it was just a realization of, oh man, I'm, I'm still making bad decisions. And eventually these bad decisions are going to kill me or put me into a really compromising position in life, which I was. I was in Iraq, a war zone. I was getting bombed. I was ill-prepared because I didn't pay attention in class. I was smoking and drinking. And how many times can you make, you know, wake up and say, what bad can I do for myself today? And that's essentially where I was. And I didn't turn my life around in a day. I just realized at that point that I wanted something better. And that better started with a decision. And that decision created an awareness. And the awareness was able, allowed me to take action. And that is how simple this process can be. But if you are not going to be truthful with yourself, which is what I'm talking about in the book too, then you're not going to be able to really take hold of this life-changing experience. Let's go back to your year in Iraq, working as a civilian contractor, because this really interests me for a lot of reasons. So here you are, 23, um, living, uh, living the high life, no pun intended, but you go to Iraq with your mom. You didn't just go alone. No. <laughs> No, I did go alone. Um, I, I left I, a month after my 22nd birthday, and my mom had already been there for about a year. And she she was telling me what a great experience this was. And I don't mean like, oh, look, I'm on vacation. This is an amazing job. 
she was telling me how it can change my perspective of the world and just give me an opportunity that I will never get again. And that's how she phrased it. So you can take that into a positive or a negative. I was like, okay, well, it sounds kind of cool. Um, I know it sounds weird that I thought that. But I went over, and we actually we didn't really get to work in the same camp or anything like that. We saw each other occasionally coming in and out of the country. But it, it was it really – I got there, and I was like, holy cow, this was not what she said it was going to be. But it was. It was exactly <laughs> what she said. It was an opportunity to change my life. And I took it that way eventually. And so I have to say that, like, that's pretty powerful for my mother to be able to realize where I am in my life what I could be able to, to take a chance on and ultimately change my life. So I thought it was um, pretty incredible. So that what happened, that epiphany happened within the first few weeks of being there. A few months later, I gathered, gathered the courage to go try a workout, right? So I was going to go run on the treadmill and the elliptical and stuff. Um, and it wasn't a success right away. I failed lots and lots of times. And that's why I talk about successful failures is that the only reason I didn't ultimately fail is because I kept going back and trying it after I learned something new. So what would, what we perceive as failures is only failure. If you quit, if you keep going back and attempting it again, maybe in a different way, right? Cause we have to learn it's changed behavior is learning and keep going forward. Then we persevere and we eventually get to our goal, but it won't happen without some speed bumps. Well, let's, let's hang on one sec before we sort of rush through to sort of the, 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 the coaching angle. I want to go back to the story because what I hear you yeah. saying is mom is in Iraq as a civilian contractor. She sees that you are challenged in some way and needs something in your life that will shake you up, you know, a call to adventure that will lead you onto a path where you discover yourself. And I want to just have a shout out to all the moms out there and dads who have yeah. kids whose kids <laughs> may be floundering because the gifts of adversity sometimes are what really bring us home to ourselves. Absolutely. I, I really, it, it helped me one, see where I was, see where I didn't want to go and then make changes. I didn't have plans in place. I didn't know what I needed to change. I didn't know where to get started. And I didn't have a great resource to tell me where to go and what to do. Um, so I, I really kind of just fumbled through, but I knew that I wanted something different. I knew I wanted something better for myself. And adversity is a beautiful thing if, if applied, pro like not applied properly, but if navigated well, meaning that you can have a hard time. Like I had a hard time in Iraq. Uh, it was, I, it was emotionally challenging. It was physically challenging. Uh, I really didn't think that I knew what I was doing because I didn't. Uh, but it was, it was also liberating. It put, put me out of my day-to-day -day comfort zone. And so I had to do something. I had to be changed, and it was either going to go for the worse or for the better. And we are going to jump off for a break, Christmas. And when we come back, we'll carry on the story and the discussion about you and your new book, The Bad Ass Life. 
30 Amazing Days to a Lifetime of Great Habits, Body, Mind, and Spirit. To learn more, please visit www.christmasabbott.com, on Twitter at Christmas Abbott, and the fan page on Facebook is Christmas Abbott Fan Page. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? Is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast with anybody in your life who may be challenged to find their true north. We're talking with Christmas Abbott today about her new book, The Badass Life, 30 Amazing Days to a Lifetime of Great Habits, Body, Mind, and Spirit. Christmas, before the break, we were talking a little bit about you working as a contractor in Iraq. Um, your mother preceded you there, and you followed and worked and discovered a lot about yourself. And I think you mentioned you discovered CrossFit at that point. <laughs> yes, I did discover CrossFit at that point as well. And that was the launching point for you to take hold as really a, a CrossFit game star. I mean, you started your training in Iraq. Talk a little bit about how you continued to do that and then where this landed you because there's a tie to NASCAR in this story. <laughs> there is. So I, I had found fitness in Iraq and I was doing like traditional training and I had this soldier come up to me and he was like, watch this video. And I was like, I don't want to watch people working out. So this was one of the first things that I did that I didn't want to do. And I ended up watching the video reluctantly. Uh, and I, and I fell in love with it. There was these three girls doing these amazing things and just blowing my mind because they were tiny and mighty and they weren't like the bodybuilding physique or the running physique. They looked like me. And so I related to them immediately. And I was like, I didn't know what they were doing. The guy explained it to me. And that day I fell in love with it. 
So I started doing my own regiment, found some fellas uh, that would work out with me, and we just became this amazing trio of training. And I just I fell so in love with the sport. And I, didn't, I never thought that I would be an athlete. I wasn't an athlete in high school or college. And here I am in my mid-20s just trying to work out and get fit because I'm, I have a passion for it. And eventually I came home. Somebody mentioned these games, things, and I was like, I don't know what that is. And I actually got dragged to my first competition. I did not want to do it. And my friend was like, I'm signing you up. You're going. Just go have fun. Don't worry about how you do. Go enjoy the process. And I did, and I ended up doing really well, kept kind of going and competing and doing well, ended up going to the games that year and uh, the following year and then regionals a few more times. So it, it was really exciting for me where I found this whole new world that I didn't know that I liked and was pretty convinced that I was never going to be a competitor or an athlete. And then here I am in this new sport at the top of my game. So I, I tell people this story because I want them to embrace trying new things, which people are completely against. Uh, if it doesn't fit in their mind of what they could do or should do, they just don't do it. But the best things in my life, my life I have actually not wanted to do initially or been terrified of. And that kind Let, of let's talk, let's let, wait, hang on one part. sec here. Whoa, 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 Missy, yeah. slow down. Let's yeah, talk a little sorry, bit about change, about me. how <laughs> change. Sometimes we 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 go there kicking and and, and screaming, and in the case uh, of your experience, almost against your will. And somebody said, "Just do this, trust, and just do it." <laughs> yeah, a lot of the things I've done was against my will that I found out that I loved, and. You know, we have this, if I tell you, hey, go eat peanut butter on your scrambled eggs, most people's response are like, oh, no, because that's not a traditional combination that we've heard of. And so I advocate for people to try new things because you don't, you know, like what's in your head isn't necessarily what is true. So if you yep. try it, if you give it an opportunity with an open mind, you might actually find things that you love. And it's one of my favorite things, peanut butter on scrambled eggs. It's delicious. And people usually scrunch their nose up to it. But then a week later, they've gathered the courage to try it. And they come back and they go, I can't believe that I've been living my life without peanut butter and eggs. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're prescribing a, a, a protein power pack, you know, with, with these two things. And I, and I think... Um, what's interesting about your example of peanut butter and eggs is is twofold. First, you know, it's the, the food combining thing, but it's really about the curiosity and the risk-taking on a very, very small level, which is emblematic right. of what it takes to change. So if you're willing to, to try that new food combination and be curious, there's also another thing that happens to us when we're in that state of trying new things, we can't be ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. We're just trying that new thing. Yeah, and you're getting a whole new experience and in, in, in sharing that. It's almost, it can become a milestone in your life if you allow it to happen. Um, and that's exactly what happened with me going to NASCAR. I was actually tricked into that too, where my friend was like, hey, come play NASCAR. And I thought I was going to be driving. That's what you think when you think of NASCAR. 
And then the guys were talking, and they're like, we're going to change tires and carry tires and jack the car. And I'm looking around, and I'm seriously, like, speed dialing my friend to get me out. Because I was like, I'm not going to change a tire. That sounds ridiculous. I will never. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's like I had this. I absolutely knew what my experience would be if I did it. I was certain. And I tried it. I was like, okay, this looks kind of cool. I tried it. I fell in love with it the first time I tried it. And that's what brought me into NASCAR. But if I hadn't been willing to allow that experience, then which I almost, I really wasn't. Um, and through, the, through just being able to be lucky enough to stay in the course, then I, I've literally changed my life. It was a fork in the road and I took it. And it, it launched me to a whole nother level of my life. So I encourage people, no matter how small the task or how grandiose it may be or silly it may feel, right, because it always feels, feels silly to try something new, it may change your life. And that's not always a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. So talk a little bit about yeah. <laughs> life in the pit. Because we think of NASCAR and, you know, we think of these um, uh, macho men, the drivers, and there are a few women, but for the most part, it's a male-driven sport. And here you are as part (laughs) of this pit crew um, with the guys. What's that like? It's, you know, they treat me like one of the guys. And if you have thin skin or, you know, as long as you go do your job and you do your job well and you're a team player – they treat you as the team. You can't go in expecting to be given anything because it won't happen. You'll just get let go, meaning you get fired. And, you know, the guys have a lot of respect for anybody that works hard and earns their spot. But yeah. they're, they're really, they're really, they're like, it was kind of like hanging out with a whole bunch of brothers. <laughs> really. just, it's a different kind of band they, of brothers, right? Yeah, you know, we are an adoptive family in the sense that we we have come together to be on this team. We train together. We are critical of each other because we want to push each other to do well, but we're also um, really caring, and we we go do hot yoga together. Um, we have dinner together. It really is a second family. So from NASCAR, we don't have a lot of time left, so I'd love for you to kind of give the fast forward to what <laughs> happened after NASCAR, to what brought you to the book, and then um, I'm going to send people over to you so they can find out more. You know, I, one of the things that I love most are my fans, where they've just really emailed a lot of questions, and those questions spawned the nutrition seminar, which spawned the first book, and then they started asking me about habits and how to change their life and which spawned the second book. So I did a collection of my experiences and how it transformed me to be able to kind of save them some of the, the rough edges of it. Uh, so I'm just really, really grateful for my fans and their very curious selves. Um, and it's, it's, been a, it's been a really amazing transformation. I wanted to be able to put something out there that I was proud of and that could build on the legacy that I'm building, um, which I talk about in the book. And I don't know. I just think that it's, it's a, I have a unique story, but it's not any different than what anybody else can do. You can change your life at any point. And that's what I decided to do at 22. And that's what I wake up deciding to do every day. 
talk a little bit about the key tips in the book. And I love that you brought up um, the legacy because I think it's really important that we all have an idea of what it is that we want to be remembered for and what we want to leave behind in, in, in sort of the short version because we don't have a lot of time. Well, I, I think that people always are, we are humans so we're goal-oriented. And if you know what your legacy is, I call that moral compass, then your, you know, your core values, your legacy, then whenever, whatever decisions you make in life, big or small, it'll push you towards that legacy, towards that moral compass, and towards that, that ultimate goal of your life accomplishments. And really, that's what it's all about. And what about the relentless rebel? that hopefully lives within us all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love this because people are like, oh, Christmas, you're always going against the grain. I'm like, I'm actually doing what I'm passionate about. And I have disregarded people that tell me no. You tell me no, it's a challenge. And I want people to understand that there there doesn't have to be a blueprint of what you want to do having been done previously. So be willing to be that outlier, be willing to be on your own Island for what you believe in. And that is being the relentless rebel and always making sure that you stick to your guns. You have that positive moral compass and that people that there's going to be nothing but naysayers a lot of the times, especially when you're doing something exceptional. So be the relentless rebel and stick to your guns. To learn more about Christmas Abbott and The Badass Life, to get her book, The Badass Life, 30 Amazing Days to a Lifetime of Great Habits, Body, Mind, and Spirit, check her out over at ChristmasAbbott.com, on Twitter at ChristmasAbbott, and on Facebook, Christmas Abbott Fan Page. Thanks, Christmas, for being, for being with me and sharing some of your badassery with our listeners. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and I hope you have an amazing day. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest today, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net. 
and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.